Welcome to Savvy Sabs podcast on call-in. This is episode 85, Biden backs GOP crime law after D.C. city councilors passed a crime bill that would eliminate most mandatory sentencing. Biden has intervened with local policymakers to nix the bill, siding along with the GOP. Imagine that. Democrat politicians are furious. What are your thoughts? And I'm going to start off with this clip. Oh, maybe I'm not going to start off with that clip. I forgot the system doesn't. I'm sorry, guys. Hold on. Hold on one second. We'll get started. I do want to go ahead and play this clip because, again, I I think it cannot be played enough. And I think people just need to be reminded of who Joe Biden really is. And this also, like, takes away some of the excuses that people have for Joe Biden as well. But again, remember what he said about he does not care. So here we go. Crime is not Democrat or Republican. Making the streets safe is not a Democratic or Republican issue. This is one of those issues I hope this passage of this bill will do, will be taken out of the gridlock category and moved into an emerging consensus. And the consensus is as follows, and I will cease when I finish this statement. The consensus is, A, we must take back the streets. It doesn't matter whether or not the person that is accosting your son or daughter or my son or daughter, my wife, your husband, my mother, your parents, it doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. It doesn't matter or not whether or not they had no background that enabled them to have to uh, become a, a social uh, become socialized into the fabric of society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask what made them do this. They must taken off the street okay so again that is joe biden i'm gonna go ahead and start taking calls uh here let's go ahead and eric i'm just gonna make you um a speaker and i'll go ahead and bring in roger you are on the mic what's up muted hey hello what is up Okay, so to us, this doesn't surprise us. I mean, we knew um, what the deal was. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's remember that Nina Turner tried to call that out in um, the Bernie campaign, and Bernie pretty much scolded her and told her, um, no, don't do that. Just like he tried to scold Zephyr Teachout about his corporate corruption and so on and so forth, and he was just like, no, don't do that. You're right. So, um, this is just as much as his fault as it is his fault. Um, and you know, just it does doesn't um, you know, it's not surprising. You know, um, I'm 
I have been taking a tally. I've been doing this since Obama. I've been taking a tally of things that presidents have been doing since Obama. So, so far I got ACO reach. I talked about that. Kids still in cages, continuing to bomb Syria, sending billions of dollars to Ukraine, yet we have no health care, home and peace of mind here. Mass deportation of Haitian refugees, but letting Ukrainians in the country who have shown no love for black folks still has not. Have we entered back into the Iran deal? Do you know? I'm not sure. I have to double check on that one. Increase in police budget spending. Renew the contract with Amazon minutes after meeting with Chris Smalls, even after saying he would not have the government contract with companies that union bus. He allowed millions more people to become homeless because he did not provide renters with continuous cash rental assistance as the moratorium ran out in August of 2021. Then weeks later, he kicked all of them off unemployment. Still waiting on those $2,000 checks, especially Georgia. He was dumb enough to let the child tax care credit expire on an election year instead of making it permanent or at best or uh, having it expire on an odd numbered year at worst. Uh, his bipartisan infrastructure bill was puny as puny as hell would have been given a massive giveaway to private equity leading towards privatized infrastructure. No attempt at bringing well-paid manufacturing jobs back to the U.S., no attempt at reining in corporations as they use inflation as an excuse to price gouge. And because you know that Inflation Reduction Act did not do anything to curb inflation. No wealth tax for minimum wage increase. No attempt at, yeah, uh, attempting to interfere in Venezuela. Uh, he's a strike breaker by forcing rail workers of RWU back to work while not taking heed to what the workers were warning about, which led to disasters like East Palestine, where he didn't even show up. Now repealing the city of D.C. criminal justice reform that will revoke mandatory minimums. I asked the audience, was there anything that I left out? I'm making a list. <laughs> so many things, so many things that have that have happened. And I think that was Ukraine on there. Uh, yeah, I put Ukraine on there. Uh, just yeah, a little so nu many, thermal nuclear war, that's all, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so many things that that have happened, but also, you know, just the fact that this also, at least this particular incident with the crime law, it speaks volumes for D.C. statehood. Because, mm -hmm. see, that's the thing, the way that he was just able to come in and intervene like that. Like, D.C. has no... They have no local power the way that they could have local power because they are not a state. So like they don't have a governor. Yes, they have a mayor, but even the mayor is limited with what she can do when you compare her to other mayors that lead cities that are a part of a state. You know what Kim Iverson had said, and this this sounded um, pretty, pretty interesting now. One of the reasons why they won't make it a, a state is because they know that would be a Democrat state. Okay, so the Republicans don't want it. So Kim Iverson has suggested that Maryland can incorporate the city of D.C. into itself and just leave the nation capital, D.C., as its own thing. But the Democrats won't do that because they want to make it a state, <laughs> you know, but mm -hmm. that's something they can do is just incorporate the city of D.C. into Maryland. 
Yeah, I mean, at this point, you might as well. I mean, it, it's it's a really, you know, I don't even want to say interesting place to be, but having family, you know, from that yeah. area, mm-hmm. it's just, it's really bizarre to me sometimes because even when I go visit DC, I always have to re- remind myself that like, most of the people don't even live within. It's strange. It's like I had friends that got jobs in DC right after college because DC is one of the cities that is usually hiring, like just to be honest. And so they were working in DC, but then some of them lived in Maryland, some of them lived in Virginia. A few, very few lived in DC because DC is so expensive, but so is that area of, of Maryland, like Silver Springs and that whole jazz and Bethesda, that's expensive too now, along with Northern Virginia. But what was what's weird is like, it's like you can't just call up a friend and say, hey, let's go to the movie Saturday because they live all over the place. It's like some of them live in D.C., some of them live in Maryland, some of them live in, in, in our Virginia. And depending on which town they live in and depending on the traffic on that beltway, it could take them two hours just to get into D.C. to go to the movies with you. Yeah, I remember you was telling about that. It's it's a weird it's a weird play. Like I mean, for me, like that's why I said I could never live in D.C. because I just I can't. No, it's too much happening there. And then so D.C. in its own right, it has some of its own laws and rules, but at the same time, it still is controlled by Congress in a sense, even though it has a mayor, and that actually limits the power of the mayor of D.C. They would probably get more electoral college votes if they if Maryland incorporated the city of D.C. into They it. probably would. They probably would. I, I think. I don't know, man. It's just if I see that local politicians have done something and they had a unanimous decision, they unanimously went against what Mayor Browser wanted. Mm-hmm. And then to see a federal politician come in and decide to make changes when they had a unanimous decision from the local politicians, that's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's yeah. just how the whole system's running anyways. You know, I feel like we have to think bigger and really, really fix, you know, fix the federal government. I mean, if we had a federal government that wasn't complete corrupt, shit that then they would treat dc well and give dc some autonomy you know so it's like there's no way you're going to fix dc as long as the federal government is is what it is i feel like you know yeah Yeah. it's just i i just i don't know and you know i talk to people that live in dc about statehood some agree with it some do not agree with it some don't agree with it because they don't want, want to be taxed more. That was something that was said to me, actually, when I was there for the Rage Against the War Machine rally. That was something that someone from D.C. said to me. They don't want more taxes. So they were like, no. And then, so there's that. And then some people do agree with it because they're like, we want the ability to be able to make decisions on our own and not have to rely on Congress or the president of the United States. This goes back to what happened on January 6th. Remember the mayor said she was limited with what she could do? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. So, I mean, what they're talking about, they don't want to be taxed federally? Uh, which which tax are they talking about? don't have federal? state tax. Oh, they don't want to be doing about state taxes. Well, shoot. Yeah, that's... 
that's what was that's what was said to me is that no because we don't want to have state taxes that's what i was told public bank <laughs> that's true but it's into that whole thing of what taxes are for and whatnot and so mm-hmm. you know it's also people having this in their heads that you know they, they're gonna have to they need taxes to pay for things and of course that's that's not well, even but you know I don't want to hold up the line. I know, you, yeah. I know you got an hour, so I'll uh, let the next person in, Seb. All right, all right. Let's go ahead and bring in. Well, Roger, I can just invite you as a speaker. So you're invited as a speaker. So you can, there you go. And I'll bring in Noel. And I can do the same thing for you, Noel, after you're done. What's your take on all of this? You know, it's more of the same, Sabrina. Um, the, the whole thing, first of all, the whole thing about D.C. statehood is problematic for some people because if you made D.C. a state, it would throw off the kilter in the Senate with with respect to the Democrats versus the Republicans. Um, but a bigger issue, I think, is the fact that D.C. is still majority black and you would have one state that had a majority black populace. And when you think about the price that the descendants of slaves have paid in this country, that is the least they could do. And it is my understanding that if DC was made a state, it would still not have the smallest population in within the then 51 states. And so, you know, for whatever the reasons, the reality is D.C. would have, you know, the authorities and the rights and responsibilities as any other state. And it would give the black voice a chance to be heard in a whole different way. But now on this thing about the um, revision of the D.C. criminal code, I pulled up this um, article from the ACLU. And it states that um, DC needs this update because our outdated code has not been systematically revised since 1901. As the DC Council has documented in detail, our current criminal code, which has not undergone systemic review since it originally was codified in 1901, suffers from unclear provisions, overlapping and outdated offenses, and inconsistent approaches to penalties. These structural problems have caused judges, prosecutors, and defense attorneys to spend countless hours litigating the meaning of our criminal laws and has undermined the civil rights and liberties of all district residents. Criminal code revisions are not new or uncommon as 29 other states, including Arizona and Montana, have modernized their criminal code since the 1960s. The district followed an extensive public process led by an independent nonpartisan commission to revise our criminal code. And so clearly what we see in this effort is, you know, the superpowers of the Senate, the Congressional Senate is exerting its control over D.C. in a way that nullifies what the constituents and the population in D.C. says it wants for itself. 
We always talk about how all politics are local. So you use your authority to override what these people have done in an independent and unbiased fashion for what reason? For politics. And again, you're using this, Joe Biden is using this as an opportunity to build a type of solidarity and re-stimulate the camaraderie with the Republicans at the expense of D.C., which has a majority black population. It is more of the same. And where is the Congressional Black Caucus of gatekeepers and grifters? Where are their voices to shout this out? And then again, if you force the issue of what is really underlying here, you're going to be called divisive and you're playing the race card and everything else. But this is more the same. And I am just, you know, I'm just almost beside myself. But again, the lines of demarcation politically are being drawn clearly. They're out in the open and people can see it and call it for what it is. I agree. And honestly, this is something that, you know, someone brought up Marianne Williamson earlier. This is something that Marianne Williamson definitely could have brought up. She's done a number of interviews over the weekend. And this is something like you want to speak against uh, Joe Biden. This is something that that is current and is hot off the press that I definitely would have brought up. And I would have said, like, listen, Joe Biden right now is siding with with the GOP to to fight against the D.C. city councilors on something that they unanimously wanted. This is obviously something that the people wanted because they represent represent their constituents. And here is the current president going against what they want. And he's siding with the Republicans. So. Again, a perfect opportunity, perfect thing to nail there and really call that out. And I think that this is why it's it's all the same. And, you know, they're framing it in the in the national media as ODC is weakening the criminal code and this, that and a third again to create that propaganda to frame what the D.C. Council has done and done diligently to frame it in such a way as to build a momentum against it. And as if the city, what would be a city council is going to be all willy nilly and just doing anything. You know, this has been a, a, a labor that has covered a number of years. So how do you just step in and override and wink, wink, side with the Republicans? And i tell you another thing. I saw Marianne Williamson doing an interview um, about her candidacy and something that struck me as not alarming, but it, it gave me an idea of the posture she's taken. She said, oh, no, I'm not interested in doing the personal attacks. I won't be, you know, saying anything against Biden because, you know, he's done some good things, this and that and a third. And I'm saying to myself, here we go again. You are so concerned about not running afoul of that DC machine until you almost appear schizophrenic trying to critique the US government with respect to capitalism and all these things. But then you are loathe, you loathe to critique the people who are manning the machine. So it's just crazy. And then they, you know, like I say, it's to me, it's just pure lunacy. Pure lunacy. I agree. And I also think that 
you know, for me, I did see an interview earlier today um, that she did. I think it was on MSNBC where they did ask the question if she would be willing to go along with the Democratic Party if she did not win and still support Joe Biden. And she answered the question, but basically she didn't answer the question in a way that was a yes or a no. She it was not direct. Exactly. She basically said that, well, that's why I'm running so that people have another option. So this is this is a red flag, people. And this is why I honestly didn't even want to cover like her announcement again today is because I already see the writing on the wall. And I think the more attention that we give to it now, once we get into the debates, if she makes it to the debates, like once we get into the actual election season, obviously I'm going to talk about it because that's a part of the news. But right now, I think there's too much attention being given to Marianne when I have not heard about Marianne's political platform. I saw the interview that she did with uh, Crystal and Kyle uh, earlier, and I got to tell you, the chat was not feeling it. The chat was not feeling it. And I think it's just like, I think it's ridiculous to think that she is going to be able to garner the same amount of support that Bernie Sanders did. And Bernie Sanders had people out by the thousands coming to his rallies. So I think that like, I just don't understand what this is all for. And that it makes me so frustrated. And so yesterday when I was looking on YouTube, I was like, everybody's talking about Marianne Williams announcement. And I only see one person covering worker strike back, which launched. And it was very infuriating. I, I just got to tell you, no, well, I got to vent for a second. It was very infuriating and it really pissed me off because even if you are against Marianne Williamson's candidacy, you are still constantly giving attention to it. And that is still giving her more attention. And that attention is not being directed towards workers strike back. And that's what pisses me off. And I've seen this time and time again, the actions that are happening on the ground, the actions that are happening with the workers, those stories are not taking precedent over political campaigns. And we all know what this system is. We all know the system is screwed. We all know that at the end of the day, both of these parties are corporate. And so for me, if I agreed with Marianne Williams's candidacy, hell yeah, like I'd be promoting the hell out of that shit. If I still agreed with this process and everything, absolutely. But I've already made my point very clear that I don't agree with it. I don't think this process works anymore. I don't agree with the two-party system. So for me, there's no need for me to continue to bring this up over and over again because it's giving more attention to her instead of getting that attention to Shama Sawant, workers strike back. And that's my point for that. I'm like, no, I'm not talking about this again. Honestly, I'm, I'm kind of sick of hearing about it. And what <laughs> is so infuriating, like you say, is that we know that Marianne Williamson knows this. She knows the futility of what is underfoot. And she knows the, uh, the potential to distract and mislead these many people yet again. When she was trying to respond to that question of whether she would support the eventual nominee, she reminded me 
of all the people on the Republican side who are trying to negotiate that question when it comes to Trump. And again, I say it sounds almost schizophrenic because you're trying to say, well, yeah, I will, but then you don't want to say you will. And it just comes across as crazy. But remember, I said in a previous broadcast, if she was serious about anything, her fight would be at the very beginning along these lines. And she would be resisting in an unambiguous way this pressure to support whoever the eventual nominee is because she knows what the system is about to do. She is establishing herself through this process as nothing more and nothing certainly as you know, impactful as Bernie Sanders 2.0. That's the best she can do. She can raise these issues. She can talk to she's blue in the face. You're not going to move Joe Biden an ounce to the left from where he is. We see it today. We see it with East Palestine, Ohio. We see it with the Ukrainian war. We see it with countermanding the D.C. Council. It's just, you know, so what are you doing? And I'm thinking you at this point in our nation's history, it is more important for whatever that third rail, that third party, that third voice is going to be. It is imperative that everyone who recognizes the system as corrupted with respect to democracy, it is the imperative that all of these voices get an alignment on that third rail. We don't have time for all that other stuff, getting in the middle, talking about moving somebody to the left or right. These people have shown us who they are, and it is high time that we believe them. Well said, Noel. I'm gonna. I'll make you a speaker, Noel, and then I'm gonna move on to Joe. But very good points. What's going on, Joe? What's your take on all of this? Hey. Uh, well, I actually have a pretty hopeful anecdote for you. Um, Let's hear it. So, I've got a normie friend. You know, the kind of vote blue no matter who type person. And I've been kind of slowly drip feeding them stuff from RBN and other associated channels, yours and other stuff that I follow. Um, and they have been, you know, pushing back on it. Um, but just the other day, in regards to this DC thing, this person linked me an article from Slate and it's like, all right, I know you and I have had a couple disagreements here and there, but this is, this is bullshit. And I don't like it. So we're slowly kind of like, I think more and more people are seeing that these people are exactly who they say they are. Like Noel said. Yeah, it's uh, definitely becoming more obvious. And and the thing is, is that, yes, I was on that Bernie train. I've gone to Bernie rallies in the past, but I never actually had a conversation with Bernie Sanders I've had conversations with Marianne Williamson, so I know exactly who she is and I already know what's going to happen. And I think, you know, I just feel bad for people because I, I see this coming for next year. So many people are going to be heartbroken and disappointed again. And you know what else? There will be a couple of people that made a lot of money off of it in the process, too. And they're not going to be as heartbroken because they were able to make a profit off of it. 
And so it'll be another thing. It's like, Marianne will run. It'll be like this whole dramatic, you know, soap opera. And then at the end of the day, when she loses, because the DNC is not going to let her win, they'll do whatever they need to do. South Carolina is now the first primary state. Joe Biden, if he runs, is going to win that state. He's already got Clyburn on lockdown. So I lived in South Carolina. I know how it works. And then at the end of it, it's like, okay, I didn't make it, but we got to stand up towards the fascist right. And we got to stand up towards Donald Trump. So you guys got to go ahead and vote for Joe Biden again anyway. That's what's going to happen. They really need to get better writers. Exactly. She's going to write a book about her experience. And that's going to be a wrap. Yeah. We we know the story. We know how we know the plot beats. We know how it all plays out now. Um, so yeah, I definitely respect your stance on covering Marianne Williams any further. Uh, and to counterpoint that, um, with the Boston uh, Worker Strike Back branch, uh, there's still that Worcester Amazon warehouse that is that hasn't fully opened yet. So if we could get some folks over there and just get that place unionized right out the gate before they can even get people in the door working, that'd be pretty awesome, I think. That would be awesome. You're right. Thank you for reminding me about that. I forgot about that. Um, But that would be awesome. I mean, like, I don't see any of these politicians helping unionize the workers. You know, that's, that's happening with the workers. And some of them have been invited to these events. Some of them have said they're going to come and not show. And it's, it's really disappointing, but I, I just think that I want people to understand that the power is within the hands of the people. Like we do have power when we come together in large numbers. The reason why we feel like we don't have power is because we're not coming together in large numbers. People are fighting over speakers at rallies and people are, are fighting over like, supporting Marianne or not supporting Marianne. None of these people are heroes. They are not saviors. And at the end of the day, they're going to make sure they get something out of it for themselves, even if that means that all of us lose. And that's something I think that Dr. King understood. That's something Malcolm X understood. Fred Hampton understood that. That's why he was a part of the Black Panther Party. Like we have to look back towards these revolutionary leaders in reference to how they organize with people in the community And stop paying attention to the gatekeeping. Stop paying attention to podcaster drama, which I'm fucking sick of, because that's not getting us anywhere. And that's keeping people on the couch instead of being out in the streets. Focused on issues. There you go. Yeah. All right. And with that, I'll pass the mic. Thank you so much, Joe. Take care. I can't wait until... um, she does her worker strike thing, you know, because there's some. I mean, I'll mention it on a later call in because I know you have like some more people in limited time or whatever. But there, there were some things on there that I was just like, and I kind of disagreed with, and most of it I think could use some improving. But we, you know, just I'm gonna discuss that Tuesday, I guess. Yeah, I think the only the only way to to deal with that is to get involved and to voice like, you know, how yes. you feel about it. I That's think. why I can't wait until they, you know, I don't know, come to New York or something. <laughs> I hear you. Let's go ahead and bring in uh, Gator. Gator, you are on the mic. Hey, Subby. Um, 
I've just got a quick sort of uh, question about about this Biden GOP thing. It, this might sound a little bit simplistic. I'm not sure. So I wanted to pressure test it with you. If you look at a possible attack vector against Democrats, the very easy one coming up in 2024, and it is essentially that by several measures, the worst run, some of the top worst run cities in the US are all democratic, that have gone uh, democratically led, that have gone down the kind of woke uh, road, that have decimated themselves in COVID with insane uh, COVID policy, which is all falling under legislative challenge. And also um, where, for example, in L.A., uh, there are now no there are no there's there's no prosecution for shoplifting below a thousand dollars. And that's causing literally the abandonment of the retail sector. There's now national there's been six months, eight months ago, there was a National Retail Federation report basically saying that what's called uh, shrinkage, which means essentially the disappearance of our stock in ways that we can't account for, i.e. theft, is adding up to over $400 million and growing in the sector. Walmart's just pulled out of a particularly large city and said, we're just closing our stores for this reason. Uh, a couple of CAOs have, have directly responded to this kind of thing. Um, Laurie Lightfoot in Chicago has lost, has achieved the impossible, which is being voted out as the incumbent, which never happens. And then when she was asked, why she basically said because i'm a black woman but well that's 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 a clearly ridiculous statement provable by the simple fact that if she was voted out because she was a black woman now then how on earth did she get voted in being a black woman in those circumstances a few years ago that that, that that's a total misnomer to say this right and it's obviously the politicization of race and gender for by a loser who when you look at what she's done in the city that, uh, that I can tell, um, she has essentially run it into the ground. And she's also a flat out liar because she said on departure that, that under her crime had come under control and reduced. And then the police force um, made that same statement again. Now, beat me up for, for citing him, but Tucker Carlson claims that looking at the actual data that these people refer to, uh, crimes have gone up by 30, uh, on average, 33%. And he, and he cited three specific ones, something like gun crime, um, so something like murder, um, shoplifting and something else. They were between 30-something and 57% or thereabouts, right? So Laurie Lightfoot's claims are easily verifiable. And it looks like she's likely to be a flat-out liar on the, on those matters, right? Now, so my point is this. In this context, if Joe Biden did something or backed the D.C. decision, which can be politically attacked as being easy on crime by reducing minimum tariff or, or, or reassessing sentencing, he is going to face a harder argument in primaries or from this point on anyway in the public sphere because you could attack him and say, well, you just epitomise all of this shitty democratic management, which has run all of these cities into the ground because and that could be easily measured by the exodus of people leaving those cities or states for other states like Texas or Florida. And possibly by this semi simple act by Biden, he can actually now refute that he supports that mismanagement because, hey, look, I'm still staying strong on crime because I'm backing 
I'm not backing that that reduction in in sentencing. Now, and that is at least one way to politically deflect from what I think is an absolutely wide open attack vector on Biden. That's interesting. I mean, Lori Lightfoot is awful. Uh, she was an awful mayor. Actually, Kit from Hardlands Media. <laughs> I learned a lot about her from him because he's in Chicago and he's covered her uh, a lot. And I don't think it has anything to do with her being black. I think she was just an awful mayor. And most of the candidates that are running for the mayor of Chicago are African-American. So I think that she was just terrible. She was terrible on in reference to policing. There were a couple of, not even just a couple, there were several police incidents and issues in Chicago that were covered by mainstream media where she did not act appropriately or she ignored warnings that she was told about what was going on in the Chicago Police Department. So I, I think she's just she was just an awful mayor. Now, I do think that could mean that some people are starting to wake up, so to speak, but I think people are not waking up as fast as they should. And what do I mean by that? I'm looking at protests happening in Europe where there have like 50,000 people out in the streets, whether it's Denmark, whether it's Germany, whether it's France, like just at a drop of a dime, get 50,000 people out in the streets and we can't even get. I don't know, 5,000 people out in the streets for protest here. And they're protesting over, obviously, this economy, the economic issues that they have. They're protesting over the military industrial complex, over this war in Russia and Ukraine. And they have every right to be upset and they are directly affected. And so I think that when it comes to people waking up, when I look at Americans, I don't feel like Americans are waking up as fast as they should. I think we are, in fact, the most propagandized country in the world. And I think that's part of the reason why we can't get those numbers out into the streets. So I think that even the people who are saying right now that they're upset with Joe Biden about this particular issue, about him back in the GOP. Yeah, they're upset, but I've seen this so many times. They're upset, but come 2024, if he's running, they'll still vote for him because he's not Trump. And that's the problem that we continue to run into in this country. There's a lot of fear mongering over the right. And it didn't start with Trump. I want to be very clear. Like some people remember it as starting with Trump, but this has been an issue for a long time. And so I think that when we look at an issue like policing, at least for me, this is a very like passionate issue for me. And I'm really tired of them giving the police more money and increasing the police state, because that means the more police they put on the street, the more they increase the police state, it's going to be actually harder for us to have some of these protests and rallies that we have, especially like the turnout that happened during the, the George Floyd protests. Like, how are we going to have those numbers out in the street again if they continue to increase the police state and to militarize the police? So this is something that people really should pay attention to. Like it's, it's a problem. And I would like to just give um, Gator a little something else to think about. You know, on the surface, this appears to be, oh, Joe Biden is being tough on crime and he's protecting his flank from the right by siding against the DC council. But 
One of the things you have to consider in this situation is most of the major urban cities that are in the democratically run states, like, you know, and not even a state because you have Atlanta, you have Chicago, you have New York, you have Cleveland. Um, most of these cities that are being run, you know, by black mayors and of this nature have experienced you know, the corporate flight from these cities in a large way. And so that pulled out the tax base. So you've had a, 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 a reoccurrence of what happened with white flight in the 60s when the white people moved to the suburbs. Only in this occasion, it is the white corporate community that has moved out and created a hollowed out tax base. So when you cite crimes in these major cities as being theft and gun violence, we refuse to do gun control. So there's a lot of guns available. And when you talk about shoplifting and things of these crimes, those are crimes that have to do with poverty. We refuse to deal with poverty. So it is a vicious cycle and you're setting up people. And in, in most of your major urban American cities, you have high populations of blacks and other minorities, including immigrants. And so if you don't increase the social safety net beneath these cities, you're going to have increases in those type of crimes that are particularly related to poverty. And if you refuse to do gun control, yes, you're going to have an increase in gun violence. And when we talk about unions in this nation, we see the fight and pushback against unions across the board, except the police union, which is dominated by white people. And so you have the reemergence of that same dichotomy with black people being over policed and screaming about violence from the police, but white America saying, oh, crime is up. So it's the vicious cycle that's being set up. And if you don't attend to the underlying problems, which is a proliferation of guns and poverty, you're always going to have those problems. And they're always going to attend the major metro urban cities, which is where most of the services for the underprivileged are. So it's the same thing warmed over. And we've been down this path before. Yeah, okay. yeah. until you fix the poverty issue, this is always going to be a problem. And I think, you know, if someone is stealing food at a grocery store, which I've seen people do this not time and time again, I've seen people steal food from convenience stores. If they're doing that, it's obviously because it's a poverty issue where they can't afford to buy it. And I think until you fix that issue, we're still going to continue to come right back to the same problem. You know, I mean, we live in a country where everyone doesn't even have health care in this country, Gator. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I, thanks for the input. OK, so what about the the flip side of, of, of a flip side is about when you factor in the prison industrial complex. So on the one hand, removing, decriminalizing or um, shoplifting doesn't make any sense unless you are trying to argue that um, it has no consequence and therefore it is a waste of police time and resources, which clearly isn't correct if you're a business owner, right? That just doesn't make sense to decriminalise shoplifting. But on the other hand, minimum tariff is directly required or beneficial to the prison industrial complex, whether somebody's carrying an, an eighth of, of, of grass or, you know, a nine bar, okay, they both, they're both going to end up being banged up for 10 years. 
clearly that's not sane. But if you're if you're involved in the prison industrial complex um, stream of revenue, it makes perfect sense. And the question could then be, well, isn't Joe Biden simply protecting the prison industrial complex by rejecting this uh, change in law? Here's the thing. If Joe Biden is not willing to attack and deal, you cannot seriously be tough on crime until and unless you are seriously tough on poverty because poverty is the root of those petty crimes. And so if you're going to decriminalize certain things like shoplifting, it doesn't make sense unless you pair it with reducing sentencing, closing that pipeline to prison um, pipeline and dealing with those other issues. So the bottom line is you want to argue against, you know, doing the right thing. We don't even hear politicians talk about poverty in this country. And we've heard over the last several years that the wealth gap in this nation is as great as any society in human history. If you have that big of a wealth gap, that big of a problem with homelessness, that big of a problem with unemployment of the minority populations, of course you are going to have increases in those petty crimes. And like, but we also have a situation in this country where we have crimes that are policed differently, like cocaine and crack were policed differently. And crack, which was available to the poor people, they got long sentences and fed the prison pipeline, but cocaine, which is more expensive, was not policed as severely. So we have a multiplicity of issues in this country that work in circular fashion if you are not willing to deal with the underlying problems, and we have not. In a time when we need social services the most, as Sabrina said, we don't have, even have universal health care. We see the government running to do the things that benefit the elite, but we don't see the government running to do things that benefit the rank and file. We couldn't even get an increase in the minimum wage, which means there are more poor people, which means there's going to be more petty crime, which means those petty criminals have more guns. And so they're going to be doing more killing. It's a vicious cycle that is particularly um, the, a part of capitalism because you have all this uber extraction of wealth out of the bowels of the working poor. And then you see these social crimes and social maladies proliferating. You say, oh my God, what's going on? Well, what's going on is all your wealth is going to the top tier and people cannot live off bread alone. You have to do something. And that's why we say this is late stage predatory capitalism because they're literally sucking the blood out of the turnips. We need a real overhaul in this country and it's not happening. So you're going to have a continued vilification of the people at the bottom. You're going to have an overcriminalization of them trying to survive. Trying to survive looks like petty crime if you have nothing. And there are lots of people in this country who have nothing. Yep. That's a big part okay. of the problem. But, 
But what I'm saying is I'm not trying to make a larger political ideological statement about about what the government is there for. My personal belief is that government has got nothing to do in reality with serving citizens' interests. Government is about the self-enrichment of those who govern by selling power and access and rulemaking to business. That's what power in the Western world is all about. Right. Fundamentally, that is what it has become, which is essentially fascism. Right. That's that's my general take on what politics is when you boil it down in the West now. So, you know, I'm sympathetic to what Noel is saying. But my point about this specific question you ask in the room about why Biden has done what he's done, I argue or pose the question, if you if you are as cynical about politics as I am, you don't expect any of what Noel wants to have happen, happen. It will never happen. It doesn't happen because government is not for that. Government does not see itself for that, right? Which government is a corporatocratic fascistic system. My argument would go that Joe Biden is simply doing something in order to provide either a political deflection from criticism that he knows is coming into a potential presidential run which was my first point, or he is specifically serving a, a corporatocratic interest, possibly the prison industrial complex, by ensuring minimum tariff exists, right, and therefore doesn't set a loose precedent across other cities or, or states in the US because the prison industrial complex is fundamental. And it ties into, this isn't part of a loop, which Noel has just brought up. If if you If you want to, say that poverty is not being dealt with and that will then drive increase in crimes which then drives increase in in, in uh, prosecution which then drives increase in po prison populations it makes sense for joe biden to to do this to ensure that the prison industrial complex continues to be fed with people who are forced or choose to go into crime for various sociological reasons that's what i'm saying i i, I don't I don't, I have such poor expectation of government that I do not believe that government's purpose is to do anything other than enrich itself and enrich its corporate masters. And Biden is potentially achieving that with this political positioning. Yeah, I totally hear you there. I think that the thing is, is that in reference to your question, he's doing both. He's doing both. He's supporting corporate interests with this and trying not to set a precedent as well. Although I will say that after the George Floyd protests, there were cities in this country that actually did make changes when it comes to policing. It didn't happen on a national level, but it did happen locally in some of the cities that pushed for it. But yeah, I totally hear you. Um, Thank you so much, Gator, though. I do want to make sure Cheers. I get to some of the other callers. No worries. Thanks, Abby. Okay. Let's go ahead and bring in uh, Brady. You are the next caller. What's up? What up, Sabs? I'm actually one of these super predators who is uh, a victim of these mandatory minimums. I got caught with mushrooms, like two grams of mushrooms, which is just enough for me to have a good time, it's the equivalent of like uh, maybe, I don't know, six beers, something like that, you know, a few shots. Uh, 
and I was going to go play some music at a music festival. And they stopped the car. The car's being driven by some crazy guy, uh, admittedly, who I barely knew. You know, I was just getting a ride from him. And he handed over the keys. And long story short, no one cares. Um, I've been vic- a victim of, you know, these mandatory minimums. And it's absolutely, it was devastating. It took up my, uh, what would have been my college education um, money. I did not know that. could have been used. Yeah, could have been used to start a business or something else, you know, that would have been helpful for me. But uh, it was a real struggle to find a job, even for me, you know, uh, after that happened while I was on probation, I could not work for Uber. I could not pass a background check for Uber. I'm, I'm exactly the guy you want to be in your Uber car when you, <laughs> when you, when, you know, you need a ride somewhere. Uh, I'm the guy that my girlfriends call when they need to get their stuff back from their boyfriend's house, you know? Um, and it was just crazy that I I was stuck to working in restaurants and eventually I learned how to be a freelancer and that's what really kind of liberated me. But, um, yeah, these mandatory minimums got to go. They're devastating. If it ruined my life, I'm a privileged person. You know what I mean? Um, if these mandatory minimums are this devastating to me, imagine what they would be like for someone without a support network. I mean, this is, it's, I can't imagine what it would be like for someone alone in that situation. You know, it's, it's terrifying. It holds so many Um, people back. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking that we don't have time to sit and wait for the next election season. Like, what do you think there's some things we can do to take action now, like in this war and all this stuff and put a stop to this stuff? I'm planting Moringa trees right now is what I'm doing. Um, I'm trying to end hunger. I think if we can feed ourselves and entertain ourselves and kind of create, I think that we need to be more like survivalists. If, If the lefties and the progressives could shake hands with the survivalists, I think that would be a good network for a general strike. And uh, that is the heart and sentiment of the proxy party, which is a legitimate progressive party that's way to the left of all the other ones and a legitimate left party that I'm working on right now. And we could use all the help we can get. Of course, it's me and like two other people, you know, but um, yeah, you know, uh, I've been doing a lot of work. The platform is growing. It's getting better every day. And if there's anyone interested in doing any work at all, um, as far as getting a movement started, um, the proxy party platform could support that movement under a network of, you know, other movements around the country and the world that are trying to get shit done. And I want to, there needs to be a network for all of these activists to be working collectively together. And that could be the movement that we need for a large, a, a legitimate, uh, progressive party that actually makes progress because all of these parties are in some way subscribing to the false dichotomy and really kind of uh, subscribing to incrementalism. And incrementalism is only going to serve uh, the very worst of us who are taking, making leaps and strides as far as um, dominating the planet goes. But we could use all the help we can get. <laughs> I'm uh, hosting anti-war rallies locally. If anyone's interested in hosting their own anti-war rally, I could show you how easy it is. And if anyone's interested in running as a candidate, we could use candidates. Um, we need someone who's interested in running for every local and national seat on the ticket. And so, uh, yeah, anyone wants to actually run for something. Uh, Sabby, you mentioned run for something. There's an organization that's called Run for Something. And I think you had a criticism of them. Do you remember what that was? Was that me? There's an organization called Run for Something. 
and I think I brought it up to you because you you got a good take on stuff like that sometimes. It might have been someone else, but what do you think about run for something? Have, are you get you familiar with that? You encourage people here in the chat in the in the lineup to run for something like anybody. I encourage people if they're going to run for something, run for something local, like run for city council. Like I know those aren't like big time positions, but at the same time, like look at all the things that you can get done as a city councilor. Look at all the things Shama Sawan has been able to get done as a city councilor, right? Like city council controls the budget. Those are important positions. So I would encourage people to run. I wouldn't voted right now as we speak. The feds are trying to limit the amount of power, especially after COVID-19, um, that local municipalities have. So we really do need to be taking advantage of these seats that go, people go uh, without being challenged all the time. It's ridiculous. And um, literally anyone can run for one of these positions, I think, and do a better job than the vampiric leadership we've been presented so far. I agree. Yeah. I would encourage you guys, if you want to run, to run for something locally. I wouldn't encourage someone to run for like a Congress, a congressional position, because you're just going to get eaten alive in there. Thank you so much, Brady. Um, you can write in, you can write yourself in um, under the proxy party, and we will put you up as a write-in candidate. And we can outright in some of these people running for Congress, I'm sure, without even having to worry about ballot access. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in Peter. Peter, you are on the mic. Just have to hit unmute. Oh, good evening, Sabi. How are you? Good evening. How are you? Not too bad. I saw you on the on the DC rally, and uh, I was uh, heading back. Uh, uh, if I uh, otherwise, I would approach you. Just say hello. Big fan, always. Oh wow! Well, thanks for coming out. Yeah, I, I want you to comment a few things. So first about this uh, Joe Biden's uh, and the D.C. crime bill thing. Well, he he was the one who uh, who did this uh, crack cocaine is 100 percent worse than the uh, regular cocaine. Right. And that's the sentencing disparity comes out since 1986. Right. He made um harder, um harsher, resi um, blah, blah, sorry, he made harsher restrictions on uh marijuana as well uh yeah but for the crack cocaine that's a you know fake science because uh they're actually equally uh potent the crack and the powder mm -hmm. right and uh and then he had this crime bill of 94 which is about eight years later so which you basically put up uh put uh 100 000 more cops on the street to get those so-called super predators in jail so he's the second strike he had about the crime, fighting crimes. So we should not be surprised about what he did with the D.C. City Council's crime bill, right? So, so I just want to, you know, I don't understand why, how James Clyburn uh, decided to side with the Joe Biden. Uh, I'm not familiar with the South Carolina politics, but I find out to be very odd that uh, he, you know, James Clyburn seems to forget Joe Biden actually <laughs> is behind all these uh, over criminalization. He didn't forget. Country. He doesn't care. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> may, yeah. May, maybe, you know, I'm sorry to use this word. May, maybe James Clyburn is uh, Uncle Tom? Yes. You got it right. Listen, he, right. Was one of the, um, mm -hmm. he was one of the politicians that spoke out heavily against defund the police. 
in multiple interviews. So when it comes to funding the police, Jim Clyburn is on board with that too. Now he likes to say that he's like progressive and he's like, I participated in civil rights, you know, activities and things like that. And I I've marched with people. Yeah. But that was a long time ago. Uh, Yeah. Also, I am a progressive savvy. What are you talking about? I marched in Thelma. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a progressive. I remember this burn, baby, burn. (laughs) And we're not going back to that. (laughs) Where's my fish fry, damn it? (laughs) How dare you? This should be a stand-up comedy on, on calling. <laughs> Just to play those uh, all the politicians, right? You know, <laughs> that could be fun. Yeah, one thing I want to uh, share is uh, I actually listened to Donald Trump uh, on CPAC speech. Oh, oh, by the way, of course, now we know Joe Biden's son is very big on crack cocaine. Oh, yep. Right. So it's kind of irony, and. Uh, so uh, I listened to Donald Trump from start to finish in the CPAC speech. I found out to be interesting that uh, he actually uh, is going to use a particular strategy uh, done by Newt Gingrich back in 1994, is to, propo- to pass laws to set term limits on all the politicians. I have said in my show, I believe Trump is more of a revolutionary than all the progressive combined for, for the following reason. His supporters in January 6 are being prosecuted as a insurrectionist. Insurrectionists usually are the words labeled to the revolutionaries in the history of this country. No progressive today can be labeled as an insurrectionist except Trump supporters. His term limits is going to have a lot of attractions for just regular people on the street. Regular workers. They will, he will just say it again that DC is a swamp. The life, you know, the, our, without term limits, these politicians such as Joe Biden, Dianne Feinstein, Jim Clyburn included, are just milking the cow forever at our expenses. So I actually want to share this with you folks. You know, I know most of the uh, you folks are, are progressives. You know, and uh, and I think uh, Trump actually he is planning a serious, uh, seriously planning a comeback. And I hope the progressive will have some strategies in in in, in response to that. So that's what I want to share with you folks. Yeah, he's actually uh, beating Biden right now. Um, I didn't realize he said that in reference to term limits. Was this recent? Yes, it's just CPAC speech. I listened from start to finish. I follow him since 2015. I actually bet that he will win. He will beat uh, Hillary Clinton, despite all the polls. Uh, polls because uh, uh, I listened to that guy. I hate him. I, I, I think he's a douchebag. He, he, he's, a, he's the worst human being. Uh, but I consider him surra- uh, surrounded by some smart people, and I listen to him very carefully. Yes, he he, he did say that. Uh, he want to uh, pass laws to set term limits on all politicians at the federal level, which I believe it's going to get a lot of attractions just for that. Here's the, because, uh, here's the thing, mm-hmm. Peter. 
Um, Donald Trump is a con artist. And as we've seen from his first run, he knows what the appeal is to the masses. He knows that people are suffering. And so he can he can strike those chords because he knows what some of the problems are. But the reality is, once he gets elected, he is all about himself. He is not going to push Mitch McConnell or Lindsey um, Graham or any of these other people. But he says these things specifically because they play well to the rank and file voters. But once he gets in, he's not about doing anything of, of the nature. He'll float the idea. They won't be able to get it through Congress. And he'll say, oh, well, I tried and, you know, this, that and a third. He said in his first run, oh, I'm going to be the president to bring back manufacturing. He ain't bring back shit. So oh, it's oh, like. Real deal. He probably is the worst con artist. Uh, yes, but he I knows his, but, his but, genius is he knows how to sell it. He knows how to sell. That's his genius. But he's oh. not trying to deliver i agree with you but uh, if uh, but uh, when i listen to malcolm x talking about the white liberals how they get their vote and didn't do anything i would say the white liberals are equally con artists that's why you do not see a lot of enthusiasm yes you're you right actually, you know this is why we there, there is also uh, a talk of so-called the maga communist movement in 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 the, a few months ago if I remember correctly, because the people generally are very frustrated with our political system. And uh, and uh, I'm not saying Trump is not. Actually, he's totally a con artist. But guess what? The left side is producing plenty of con artists. Absolutely. You know, since you know, since Absolutely. the civil rights uh, in the 60s, right? So, and, you know, I, I love the when Malcolm said that these white liberals, they will be part of the white flight. <laughs> and as soon as the uh, blacks move, move into, into their neighborhood. So, 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 you know, there's a, you know, so I just want to share this uh, Trump news with you guys. So again, I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm not a Biden supporter either. Yeah, Trump knows what to say at the right time. Like he knows something like term limits is is popular right now like he says things when they're popular like oh yeah people are really mad about the the money that's going to like ukraine let me make a speech about how i want to end the weapon contractors so he gave that speech recently too i don't know if you guys remember i, I think i played and that. sabrina yeah, let me run to east palestine when joe is in the ukraine <laughs> <laughs> okay Let's bring in Marco. What's up, Marco? Hey, Sebi, are you familiar with David Cobb? I'm not. He was the 2004 presidential candidate uh, for the Green Party. He ran after Nader. Um, and he's got something called Cooperation Humboldt, which is a like a Humboldt County version of Cooperation Jackson. And he's really big on public banking. Like that's one of the main things he's organizing in Humboldt. Um, and Roger, I sent you his email, but I, Savvy, I think you, Roger, some other public banking people should do a show with David and, and start talking about how we can organize public banks more. That's my suggestion. Send me his email. Yeah, yeah, I'll send it to you. And yeah. Roger, check your messages. I keep sending you messages. <laughs> oh, boy. I see it's not just me. <laughs> I'm notorious. Like, people are like, check your email, check your messages. And I'm like, oh, boy. Um, 
because I get a lot of spam. That's why sometimes I'll just be like, is this real or is this spam? And some of the emails that are real look like spam for whatever reason or go to spam. What's, what's up? Oh, sorry. What's up? What you said you send me messages? Where do you send me messages? On Colin? Ah, oh, man, yo, here, take, take my Twitter thing, bro. I, I really look at that thing. Hey, I'll put it in the thing. Okay, yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks, Roger. I'll send, it, I'll send it to you there. And I'll send it to you too, Seth. Public banking's important. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really check that thing. I only remember when it's a call in show. Yeah, same thing here. Um, thank you so much, Marco. We're going to bring in Amanda, and then I'm going to have to wrap it up because I do have to have to go to that meeting. What's up, Amanda? Hey, Sabby. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Great. I just wanted to, um, I don't know if it was on your radar and somebody did put it in the chat, um, that they cut the additional $95 a month for single people for SNAP benefits, food stamps. And so the amount of money that people get per day if they're single is, um, ridiculously small. I think it's $6 or something like that. And um, in addition to that, they didn't adjust the amount that you have to make to qualify. And so the COLA for the Social Security, people who, who get Social Security, there's some people that they'll get an increase to their Social Security that will bump them out of eligibility for food stamps altogether. Why and it's was... only a cola. <laughs> so it's not even enough to cover the amount that you're losing from the food stamp program. Why was this decision made, did they say? It was done budget for budget. It's part of the budget that Biden just signed. Everybody hear this? March 1st was when they cut the additional. It's part of that um, COVID emergencies over thing. So that extra $95 is no longer going to be deposited. And when the new amount for the Social Security goes into effect, there's going to be, I heard it was like 4 million people are going to be kicked off of food stamps for that. So. Oh, screw that. Thank you. That's exactly how I feel about it. I'm just not expressing it that way right now. And I really want people to know these things. Because the thing is, is these are the poorest people in the country that, you know, people are not trying to scam the government out of money when you're talking about $300 a month to feed yourself. Give me a break. No, People are not having extra babies to get the extra benefit. It's the most ridiculous thing that people don't. But a lot of people, you know, anybody who doesn't go, isn't on food stamps, they don't know these things. These aren't, you know, it's not part of their life experience. Everybody knows groceries went up. They're going to cut the amount that they're going to give them. That's all. I'm glad you're outraged too. Cutting SNAP, SNAP benefit, blah, blah. Cutting SNAP benefits during a time when the grocery store prices are still high. Well, you know, people on SNAP should just go out and get another job. I mean, really, haven't you seen that their unemployment is like up, right? (laughs) It feels so crushing sometimes to see the purposeful things that it seems like people do. 
And I'd just say that, you know, we don't, it's such a big system and complex. You can't point in one direction except for things like this. Like, this hello. Is, this is freaking crazy. This is absolutely crazy. Oh, wow. So thank you for letting me share that. And, and maybe, maybe, you know, maybe we can get some action to get people out. I did go to the launch of the Berkeley workers, um, strike back yesterday and it was it was good a friend of mine and I went down and it was it was good so I urge people if you haven't had one in your town yet inquire sign yourself up go to workerstrikeback.org and put yourself on the email list check your email <laughs> for workers strike back because they don't tend to send out things unless they're like they don't just send out random fundraising things, at least not that I've seen. And I've been on the mailing list for a little while, so I encourage people to do that. Thanks for doing what you do, Sabby. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much for calling Amanda. Sorry guys, I gotta cut this short, but I do have a meeting. Um but thanks so much for tuning in. I wish I could stay longer, but I, I have like a it's it's like a fifteen minute meeting and I don't even know I don't know. I could come back. If I created another room later, do you guys want to talk later? I don't know. Okay, those are thumbs up. I'll do that then because the thing is relatively short, but yeah. Thumbs up. All right, so I'll create another one and I'll send the link out. You don't want to just take us all to your meeting? (laughs) 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 That would be funny, though. We'll be the rowdy bunch. Who in the we'll world listen, really. the door? All right, guys. Well, I'll I'll be back probably in about an hour. Okay. okay.